This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome once again to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Megan Barcelia and Christopher Gonzalez. We would like to give a very special thanks to Julie Lockton for the warm introduction leading into our show. We just we just love being part of Move Radio and sort of virtually hanging out with people all over the world involved in line dance through playlists and themes, or in our case, talking at you about <laughs> line dance for two hours. Today, we are opening with charisma and the three elements of charisma as described on the Art of Manliness or artofmanliness.com. Uh, this article, this first one here, is part of a three-part series by Brett and Kate McKay. The second part is um, the three elements of charisma, power, and the, the last one is three elements of charisma, warmth. So presence, power, and warmth. We are starting with presence. Because this is from the site, The Art of Manliness, you may hear a lot of things about like uh, how a man would do this or that. Don't put too much stock in it as all of these these tips and uh, and principles can be applied to people of any gender. <clears throat> the charismatic man, or woman, or otherwise. The three elements of personal magnetism. Are you a senior in high school running for student council president? Are you an entrepreneur looking to make a successful pitch and attract investors? Are you a military officer working to win your men's loyalty? Are you a salesman trying to land some new clients? Are you a college professor wanting to get through to your students? Are you a single guy looking for love? No matter your situation in life and your individual aims, one of the most important tools for success is your personal charisma. Charisma is what allows you to command a room, draw others to you, and convince people of your ideas. It's an essential part of being the kind of leader who wins devoted followers who are willing to go to the ends of the earth for you. Charismatic men are perceived as both likable and powerful, a dynamic, irresistible combination that opens endless doors to them. Charisma may seem like a mysterious quality, something that men are born with, some men are born with, and some are not, but this is happily not the case. You don't need to have hit the genetic charisma lottery in order to develop yourself into a man with powerful magnetism. Far from being a magical and inexplicable trait, charisma can be broken down into a set of concrete, largely nonverbal behaviors that can be learned, practiced, and made natural. Olivia Fox Caban, author of The Charisma Myth, places these behaviors into three categories, presence, power, and warmth. When deftly combined, these three components produce strong personal magnetism. We will be devoting an entire post to each of these three components of charisma. Each will provide an overview of the component as well as practical tips for developing and implementing it. Later on, we will cover charismatic body language, and because not every style of charisma is appropriate for every situation, we'll discuss what behaviors to use or de-emphasize in different situations. For today, we'll start off by talking about the first component of charisma, presence. Charisma component number one, presence. 
Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you could tell you didn't have their complete attention? How did it make you feel? Probably a bit annoyed. Sadly, it seems fewer and fewer people are fully present and engaged with the individuals they're interacting with. Being completely engaged in a conversation has likely always been a challenge, as we all have a bit of the conversational narcissist in us. Now that smartphones have saturated modern life, being fully present is even harder. People today try to, unsuccessfully, switch their attention between two worlds. The real world, populated by the people they are physically present with, and the cyber world, which sends them dispatches through their phone. Go to any restaurant in America and you're bound to see tables of people staring blankly at their smartphones and hardly engaging with each other. This video, click, that circulated the intertubes a few weeks ago perfectly captures the way in which technology has created a society of non-present screen gawkers. Pretty poignant. The good news about all this is that it's now incredibly easy to set yourself apart from the pack simply by being fully present with people and giving them your complete attention. When you think of charisma, you might think of trying to make yourself seem super awesome to others. But the paradoxical secret of charisma is that it's not about trumpeting your good qualities, but making the other person feel good about himself. Real charisma makes the other person feel important. When they finish an interaction with you, they feel better about themselves than they did before. Focusing your mental and emotional energy on someone as you interact is how you create that feeling of importance. People fundamentally want attention. They want to be recognized and acknowledged. And you don't have to be an outgoing uber-social extrovert in order to have and display charisma. In the charisma myth, Caban cites tech entrepreneur Elon Musk as an example of someone who has mastered the art of charismatic presence. He's incredibly intelligent, and a pretty quiet guy by nature. However, he counterbalances his introverted inclinations with intense focus and presence. He doesn't need to be the extroverted life of the party to seem magnetic. Instead of chatting everybody up and offering a little of himself to a lot of people, he concentrates on giving his full, intense attention to a few. In so doing, he makes them feel incredibly special. Charisma isn't necessarily about quantity, but quality. Conveying presence is a simple concept, but oftentimes difficult to actually achieve. You can't just fake it. People are surprisingly adept at deciphering your feigned interest. To truly convey presence, you must actually be present. It takes a significant amount of willpower to focus all your attention on the person you're with at the moment. But like all things, with practice, it becomes significantly easier. Below are some tips on developing your charismatic presence. Bring yourself to the here and now. Presence begins in your mind. If you feel like your mind is off somewhere else while engaging with someone, Try this little exercise to bring you back to the here and now. Focus on physical sensations in your body that you often ignore. It could be your breath, or it could be the sensation of your feet touching the ground. You don't have to spend very long meditating on these sensations. Just a second or two will bring you back into the moment you're sharing with this person. Thoughts? Um... <laughs> For the most part, uh, I can see how that could be really, really helpful if you're focusing on the physical 
because uh, it's very present. It's very right here, right now, so that this way, if you take a few moments to do that, then you can bring yourself to that person's attention mm. or your attention to that person again. I notice that when I'm doing dances, there will be times when my mind wanders and I forget whether it's a step quarter turn or a step half turn. All I know is, oh, wow, I just woke up and here I am turning. Which one is this? And by staying in my body and really experiencing the dance, so even if my mind starts to go off someplace, I just bring it right back with like, what's going on in the lyrics? What are my hands doing? There's always something that my my physical form can engage with that will keep my mental self from butting in too much. True. Um, I know one of the things I do when I'm trying to, per se, ground myself or um, bring myself very present here and now, um, I'll actually pinch my index finger or my middle finger and my thumb together just to have that pressure. It's a little slight thing where um, that pressure and that focus on that real quick uh, really adjusts and allows me to... um, center myself real quick, bring myself back to where I'm at, what I'm doing. Um, And it's not too distracting. It's not like, you know, I'm getting up and walking around and pacing or anything like that. Um, It can be done, you know, by my, by my side as I'm dancing or if I'm sitting at the table talking to someone. Mm. So in meditation, I've, I've seen mudras used, which are, uh, as I'll describe here from Wikipedia, A mudra is a symbolic or ritual gesture in Hinduism and Buddhism. While some mudras involve the entire body, most are performed with the hands and fingers. A mudra is a spiritual gesture and an energetic seal of authenticity employed in the iconography and spiritual practice of Indian religions. In yoga, mudras are used in conjunction with pranayama, yogic breathing exercises, generally while seated in padmasana, sukhasana, or vajrasana, pose to stimulate different parts of the body involved with breathing and to affect the flow of prana in the body. And I've seen those used to keep your focus where you are. Whereas if you are sitting just comfortably with your hands open to the sky, which many can do without problem, um, your mind might start floating away. And rather than catch it and come back to the present, you might just keep floating. You'll forget to check in with your body and stay present in your sensations and what that pinching can do bringing that circle together from the finger around to the thumb and then back to the finger is it can when you squeeze it tighter or more loosely you remind yourself here you are your body is right there in front of you and this is the sensation of it and that takes you right back into where you are sitting and not up into your head I've noticed um, the boot boogie babes up in, I think, Seattle do something like that. And as I've just, I've heard them describe it, it's uh, for them a focus finger. And it allows them to just keep one finger extended at their side so that they put their focus in that and, and have all their concentration there in that upright finger so they don't have to put it into their face. If they look like they're focusing with their face, they can look concerned or stressed or like they're not having fun with the dance they're doing. 
And as a performance dance team, that's not something that they would like. They want to look like they are you know, like a cheerleading team almost, just full of energy, enthusiasm, everything's going well. They're not forgetting any steps. Everything is going as planned. And their face can stay in that default mode. If they ever need to think or focus too much, they can bring it down to the finger and no one will notice. Mm-hmm. And that keeps them present in their body. Next, make sure you're physically comfortable. It's hard to be fully present with someone when all you're thinking about is how uncomfortably tight your pants are or how hot it is, both of which I have experienced. To that ad- and that's me, 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 me. Uh, <laughs> to that end, do what you can to ensure you're as comfortable as possible. As Antonio has emphasized numerous times, wear properly fitting clothes! Exclamation point. Besides helping you look better, clothes that, make, that fit well make you feel better. Other things you can do to increase your physical comfort include getting enough sleep, laying off the caffeine, be calm instead of jittery, and adjusting the thermostat, when you can, to a more agreeable temperature. Well, that all sounds very relevant to the dance world, uh, especially the bit about adjusting the temperature. We've experienced distraction at events where it's too cold or too hot. Yeah. This is true. Mostly too hot. <laughs> uh, mostly too hot. Um, and it is important to make sure you get sleep and everything just in general. But when you're talking about having a presence, um, when you're well-rested, you have more use of your energy that you can you know, spend towards making sure people are enjoying themselves as well as you enjoying yourself. Um, I know that, for instance... Um, I've had several experiences where I've been in pain Mm. while trying to talk to someone and it's very distracting. Um, So I try and take those moments when I'm not engaged with someone to maybe step outside or really just kind of let go and just breathe for a moment where there's not a whole bunch of people around me and try and help myself then so that then once I'm in front of someone and I'm talking to someone and I'm engaged with someone, I can put that pain aside because I had the moment spent with it. Um, and going forward, I'm able to really focus on that individual as opposed to let the pain distract me. Um, I unfortunately am a naturally fidgety person. So I try really hard to sit still when talking with people. Um, So again, that's one of those things where I've learned little tricks along the way. Like for instance, I have a ring that I I can twist. Um, Just like the pinching of the fingers, I also um, will lightly rub my thumb and index fingers together um, just to have that extra little something. Um, I, I do bounce my feet a little bit and uh, stuff like that but uh, that's just me and I'm you know for the most part it doesn't distract me too much from what people are saying but it can be distracting for them so I try and keep the movements small and like out of sight essentially hunger and sleepiness for me make whatever I'm doing seem like an obstacle to me either getting to sleep or getting food. And that definitely takes me out of wherever I am because I feel like where I am is a problem. 
And usually, like if if everything else is going well, then being at the dance thing is an end in itself. Everything else, like saving money and like having a, a good meal, is means to that end. That's where I want to be, and everything's leading up to that. But hunger and fatigue override everything, whether you like it or not, because your body is very insistent like that. Mm-hmm. And even if you intended for that dance event to be the end in itself it then shifts everything shifts toward your biological needs instead and you're trying to get out of that place as quickly as possible because what your body thinks you should be doing is eating or sleeping anybody who talks to you is an inconvenience and unless they're buying you food they are your enemy (laughs) so Make sure that those problems are solved before it gets to that point. That way you can keep the dance event as positive an experience as you can allow it to be. Also, if you if you know that you're going to have any pain problems because of a, a nagging thing that isn't a problem now, but you know it's going to be later in the night, that's when you can start thinking about sitting out of some dances that you don't absolutely have to do because... When it is the end of the night, you'll wish you could take those minutes back that you were wearing away at that part of your body, but you can't because it's too late by then. So knowing yourself, knowing what will be a problem later, like when you think, oh, I could go up to my room and get my better shoes, but I don't want to miss four minutes. Like I'll just stay in these and be uncomfortable for the rest of the night. Like prepare prepare for the things that you know for yourself will be a problem i know i can get grouchy when i'm hungry and i can get disengaged when i'm sleepy uh, and i just try to keep those in check as best i can Uh, even better is just preventing them from happening in the first place also about the tight fitting clothes if you wear clothes that seem like they fit great just in the department store or wherever it is that you bought them Try them out at an event where you will get sweaty before the actual event itself. Go to a a country bar or just do like a a light workout, do some jogging and jumping jacks because they're probably going to feel better when they're dry than at the end of the night when you're all sweaty and everything's sticking to you. Then you will wish you had done the preventive work of knowing how that was going to feel later and maybe making a different purchasing decision or a different packing decision. Absolutely. Um, I know me personally, when I'm hungry, I get very lethargic and depressed. Um, and so like when I'm learning dances, it makes it almost impossible, uh, to focus. I also know that that makes it really hard for me to be present with people, uh, because I'm just, I'm there And it's almost as if I'm just going through the motions and I'm not like really engaged and I don't really feel like I'm presentable. Uh, So it's definitely important to eat. Mm. And um, as for laying off the caffeine, uh, just use your best judgment. For that, I would say (laughs) know how it affects you, know how long it takes for it to affect you and know what all the different stages of it are for you. Because if you, if you know that there is a time coming up when you'll really wish you had that stimulus, but you also know it takes a while for it to kick in, try to time your consumption of it so that you can hit that peak when you need it, 
but also be aware of how much trailing time you have after that in case you're the kind of person that crashes. Don't don't time your peak to go with the peak if the crash is going to hit at an even more important time period. Like if you have a class to teach and then you have a performance to do, I would recommend saving the peak for the performance and not for the class. You can maybe find tricks or pacing or whatever during the class that will allow you to get through it. You're really going to need it for your performance though. Uh, Because if you crash when you're the only person out there in front of all these other people and the focus is on you, it'll feel worse than if the focus is on themselves trying to learn a dance. They won't notice you as much. So know what your aim is with the caffeine and plan for the hours to come and what that caffeine will do to your body. Also, you mentioned the word presentable. In addition to wearing clothes that just in general feel good physically, prepare to feel presentable and not self-conscious so that if you think to yourself, I I have so little time, I'm just going to throw on whatever, even if I know I I don't really like this shirt and I I feel like it's going to make me look like I'm going to wash my car in a half an hour with like a bucket of suds or something, like take the extra five minutes Find something that you feel like you can really stand on your own two feet with and feel confident and strong and presentable and wear that if it's going to affect the next several hours of interaction for you because you do in the short term save yourself a little bit of time having the quick and easy clothing solution but in the long run you're going to be hiding from people all night or all afternoon or whatever your event is uh, having that low effort, low stakes kind of outfit on. You can get through whatever you're getting through, but everything after that might make you less engaged and you might find yourself apologizing a lot. Like, oh, so sorry about how I look. I just threw this on. You know, I was running late. Uh, And that's such a waste of conversation. You know, you can talk about so many other things besides apologizing for your appearance when it was really an avoidable problem to begin with. If you take that extra few minutes, then the next several hours, you can feel your best and really look them in the eye and not worry about what they're thinking of you. Very true. Set your devices on silent and put them out of sight. This serves two purposes. First, it reduces the temptation for you to check them while you're engaging with someone. Second, it sends a strong message to the person you're with that they have your complete attention and they're not sharing it with the smartphone placed on the table. That's definitely a huge thing. Um, We're all guilty of it one time or another, that's for sure. Um, I know for a while I used to just leave my phone in the car when I went out somewhere with friends. Um, figuring whatever happened, I can get back to it, you know, when I get back to my car. Um, Unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of people use their smartphone as a watch as well. So if they're, if they have some place to be or whatever, um, they definitely will check it, worrying about like, you know, how much time they have. But um it is very distracting and 
unsettling when you're engaged in a conversation with someone and they keep grabbing for their phone. Um, or, for instance, like at a dance event, if, just as an example, if you and I are in a conversation and a song comes on and I go out and dance and I leave you um, and you pick up your phone and I come back, if you set your phone down right away, then I know that you're welcoming back me, me back to the conversation versus if you had your phone out and you just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, then it's kind of like, okay, well, now I'm interrupting you, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to continue this conversation. It's almost like a passive-aggressive way of punishing you for going out and enjoying yourself for a few minutes. Like, no, well, now you don't get to talk to me. You had your chance. Yeah. Now, granted, at most dance events, you and I are pretty good about not even having our phones out in the first place. We just either, A, enjoy what's going on on the dance floor, or B, we find someone else to talk to that's next to us for that dance, unless we see that there's, like two or three that the other person's going to be out on the floor for, but we're not, then we can like get up and move around and talk to other people. Um, I've n- I definitely noticed like we're pretty good about that kind of stuff. Um, half the time, I don't even know where my phone is when it comes to dance events because like at the end of the night, I'm like, hold on, let me find my phone. Wait, where is it? And I have to like dig to the bottom of my bag or something like that. Um, so it's, it's certainly important that you recognize that whatever is going on on the outside world of whatever is happening very present um unless there is some type of family emergency going on which is excusable um if you ask me for my opinion um there's really no reason to constantly be checking your phone or social media or whatever um it can be very off-putting Again, for like somebody else, if um, somebody's on their phone and like I wanted to go up and talk to them, I'm less likely to walk up to them if they're on their phone because it seems like they're engaged in an activity already Mm -hmm. as opposed to sitting, um, you know, in their seat open and that gives me that invite that, oh, yeah, no, I can approach them and talk to them and, you know have this conversation at this event because they're not shut down. Especially if you're sitting alone and you're smiling. Yes. That helps a lot. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know a couple times I've seen it done before where people will put their phones in the center of the table and whoever picks up their phone first pays for the check Mm. or something like that. Um, I I personally haven't tried that yet, but it would be interesting, I think. Mm Um. I've seen signs at some places uh, where there are dance floors. And I think some of them use colorful language. Uh, But it's something like no mobiles on the dance floor. Uh, No mobiles on the dance floor. It kills the vibe or kills the mood and makes you look like a boring. And then there's some expletive that they choose. I think the one that I usually see starts with a B and ends with a D. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one way of putting it. The people who are out there um, on the dance floor with their phone look like they want to be anywhere else. Like, why are they even out there if they would rather be wherever their phone buddy is talking yeah. with them? Um, as an ambassador or a representative of line dance, as you are when you are on the dance floor, you are sending a message to people on the sidelines who've never done it before because there's always got to be at least one uh, you're sending the message to them, 
this is what it is. This is what you can expect to feel like when you're out here doing it like I am. And you might feel like this isn't your responsibility. You're just out there to do what you want. And if you want to text, well, gosh darn it, that's your right. And it is. You can do that if you want. Um, but there are consequences to this. And somebody who sees you out there frowning and texting might think, well, if this is so boring that they couldn't just do it for four minutes, then this isn't for me. Whereas if you are fully engaged, maybe you're playing with the dance a little bit, and if you want to go like real over the top and be like the movie Fake ID with who's Zach Efron or somebody, I don't know, whoever, whoever the, the young people are in that, like they're all giggling and laughing at each other and I don't know if I've had quite that experience um, as presentationally as they do in the movie, but um, it definitely makes line dance as a whole look better if you look like you're enjoying it. Yes. Then people will see that and think, I want to, I want to get to where they are with that. I want to feel comfort, comfortable and confident and playful and all of the things that they're expressing they don't want to emulate a person that, oh, wow, I really wish I could text and dance at the same time <laughs> with, with a, a, a sour expression on my face. Like, I'm going to come back next week and try hard so I can do that. No. <laughs> Again, it's your right. You can do what you want, but there are consequences if that's the sort of thing you care about. If it's a, if it's a priority to you to bring more people into the dance world, then maybe look happy. <laughs> Be present. Yeah. Look the person in the eye when they're talking. Numerous studies have shown that people who make higher levels of eye contact with others are perceived as possessing a load of desirable traits, including warmth, honesty, sincerity, competency, confidence, and emotional stability. And not only does increased eye contact make you seem more appealing in pretty much every way to those you interact with, it also improves the quality of that interaction. Eye contact imparts a sense of intimacy to your exchanges and leaves the receiver of your gaze feeling more positive about your interaction and also more connected to you. It's important to note that while eye contact works well in building intimacy in friendly situations, recent research suggests it may backfire when you're trying to persuade someone who's skeptical of your point of view. To learn the importance of eye contact, click here. To learn how to make eye contact the right way, click here. So eye contact is definitely important. Um, it can be very distracting when you're having a conversation with someone and they keep looking around. Mm -hmm. um, I know when some, when I'm having that conversation with someone and they keep looking around, I will look wherever they're looking, <laughs> try to figure out what they're looking for. Yep. Um, one of the fun things um, that I've noticed that I've actually come to really, really enjoy and find very endearing is when um, you and I are actually having a conversation and it's about like when we're just sitting down somewhere, like not driving or anything like that. And it's a topic that we're really, really excited about or just passionate about. Um, you tend to have this gaze where I feel like you're peering into my soul where it's like I couldn't hide from you if I wanted to. So I just need to get it all out on the table and be honest about how I feel about topic A or something like that. Um, but I feel like you're really, really listening to me and you want me to talk. Um, whereas someone who looks at you for like two seconds and then looks away, you're kind of like, okay, are you waiting for the better thing to come along? Is that what's going on? Am I like 
taking up too much of your time am I rambling oh god I'm rambling I'm totally rambling you know kind of situation whereas when I have your attention I feel totally engaged in the conversation and like it's a safe environment and you're really wanting me to keep talking and telling you more about topic A or B or whatever it is um and it's it's an interesting feeling at first because I'm not used to having someone be so focused um, and so intent on listening. So it was something that me as a person had to get used to at first. But, you know, like now it's kind of like one of those things that I look forward to when we get on those kind of discussions. Yeah, I used to be a lot more evasive with my eye contact and shy and I definitely notice myself when I'm talking looking out more into the distance because when I talk and stare at somebody it's like (laughs) I'm attacking them (laughs) and I'm a lot better about listening and keeping full eye contact than than the reverse um one of the things that really shaped my opinion of eye contact because I did used to find it like really excessively aggressive um, was I had a roommate and he seemed like a very laid back sort of person. I mean, he would get passionate about things, but he, for the most part, just had this very cool demeanor and he doesn't listen to this podcast at all. I'm sure he lives in San Francisco or I think maybe Alameda and does like design. I haven't talked to him in years. Uh, but if anyone knows Dan Schwer, let him know. He's been name dropped on Line Dance Podcast. Um, yeah, when he spoke with you, anybody, I, I would watch him do this at parties or like with people who would come over to the house. He would never be the first person to break eye contact. And he never looked like he was doing whatever he was doing aggressively. Somehow, he could just have all his muscles relaxed in in a very um, open posture of like maybe sitting back with one ankle, uh, so not quite legs crossed, but like one ankle resting on his other knee. It's kind of what you would imagine a person in an easy chair looking like. And he could hold eye contact with people who were like fidgeting all over the place and they would look at him for a while and they would always break first. Even while they broke, he wouldn't necessarily break with them as some people do just out of like unconscious sympathetic response or something like that. He would do so at his leisure. He he always looked like what he was doing, all his body of movements were his choice. And he was never stimulated into having to break because somebody said or did something. He would do whatever he wanted. If he were looking out the window, you could tell he took the time to turn his head and then turn it back. Things didn't seem haphazard. And I thought that was such an interesting way of being. And I tried to figure out how he was that way and how he could make eye contact that wasn't scary. Because at the time, when I would make eye contact with people for too long, it's almost like there was this thermometer in my head, and the longer I was making eye contact with somebody, the higher the mercury would get, until eventually it was hitting the top and I had to turn away. It was just too much for me. But he could always do it so coolly and calmly. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to eventually be able to make a choice for myself. 
And I think practice helps a lot. And being with people that you're comfortable with helps as well. Also, when you're talking about things that you care a lot about and you feel like you know a lot about, then you can look somebody in the eye when you're saying what you're saying. If you're not sure what you're saying or you're kind of faking it, then it can be a lot easier to kind of look into the distance or look at the floor or gesture and look at your hand uh, because you don't know that they're not totally calling you out like by just the way they're looking. If you looked at them in the eye and you didn't know what you were talking about, then you could see them raise an eyebrow or maybe like tighten the corner of their lip like they're about to say something to counter you. And if you don't look at them, you never have to worry about those things. Um, so maybe the solution would be just talk about things that you know about or if you do have an opinion, make sure that you say, this is just what I've experienced. And then you can confidently say, this is what I've experienced. You can make that kind of eye contact. When you fake it or when you are uncertain that you're going to be received well with what you're saying, then it can be harder to do this. Um, so maybe find ways to rephrase that or just guide your own thoughts into things that you're sure about. Very true. Oh, also, um, there was some bit of like literature, something I read that I remembered at the time associating with the way that he would look at people. And somebody else, I, I remember mentioning it to one of like our mutual friends, and they sort of agreed with it, that when a special person like Joe or Rachel or Gary looks at you and they really see you and you're filling up their field of vision, it feels like warm sunshine. Like they're pointing all this warmth and love directly at you. And of course, this doesn't apply as much because uh, the rest of the the quote was in, involved in the opposite but like uh, the rest of it was something like and when they're turned away you feel like you're in the shadows like you, it's cold and you just want more than anything for them to turn that heat back on you and my roommate did have a way of doing that um, sometimes uh, toward people if, if people were saying something inflammatory or something like against something and it made people uncomfortable, then he could, t he could take that focus and warmth and sunshine and turn it off intentionally. Uh, not in a cruel way, but just in an intentional way. And fortunately, the people that we know in the line dance world, I don't think I've ever seen them do that. Uh, but the other half of it still very much applies. Like when they're talking to you, you just feel so special. Like they are making eye contact with you and only you. And I've, I've seen um, lists of people that that's true for, like Bill Clinton, um, Obama. Like there are a few people who can make that connection with you and you feel like as important as they are, like they've still chosen you to devote their attention to, even if it's just for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And um, that is another one of those things that when I've seen people do that, like like Joe and Rachel, who we've mentioned so many times in this podcast... Uh, you you want <laughs> you want to be able to do that. You want to have the same effect on other people um, that they've had on you as a way of paying it forward. Because you don't know if you will ever make them feel that way. Like they're they seem in our minds like these super full of love people, and we don't know if we can ever have the impact on them that they've had on us. But we do know that it is in our control to try with the people that we do see. 
like at the checkout stand or carrying a plate to our table, um, any interaction we have, we can practice showing them that sort of focus and sunshine and just loving warmth that has been shown to us. Is this true? Nod to show that you're listening. I can feel everybody nodding at home. (laughs) Besides eye contact, an easy way to convey presence is through body language, and more specifically, nodding your head. But be judicious with the noggin nods. An overabundance can indicate you're trying too hard to please and agree with the person, which decreases their perception of your power. Also, only nod at appropriate times. You'll need to be truly listening to know when a nod makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to accidentally nod yes when they're saying something (laughs) that you should be like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a a quote, or not a quote, a uh, clip on on YouTube that I am looking up the title for so that people will know how to find it. Ah, here it is. The clip is from The Office, and it is titled Pitching to Women. Dwight Schrute is having a hard time learning how to pitch to female clients. It's three minutes and 31 seconds. I highly recommend that you look it up because in it, uh, the ladies in the office are trying to tell Dwight, who's a very aggressive, no-nonsense sort of guy, how to have body language that shows that you're listening. And he does the nodding thing, and he... He does a big smile, and he tries to do eye contact, and he comes off looking like a serial killer. And I think they, <laughs> they tell him such, too. He just, he's just bobbing his head like it's going to fall off of his neck. And that is inappropriate nodding. Okay. Yes. Thanks for the lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it is important to give people the signals that you are listening. The nodding. Uh, one of the things I know I do is, okay, or, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying there. And, mm-hmm. like... I re- reiterate the fact that I am listening by having something to contribute, but not enough that it's I'm totally like taking the conversation back to my side or anything like that. Just like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I follow. Um, also, which goes into the next one is when I uh, am having trouble following along. Mm-hmm. A couple more notes about nodding. For a student, this can be so helpful for the instructor. If you're nodding while they're saying things, the instructor knows that you're following. If you just kind of stare off or look around, the instructor has no idea if you heard what they said, and they might repeat it more times than you think they need to because they did not get the message from you, the student, that you were listening and that you are ready to move on to the next bit. So if you find yourself bored and like, why are they still talking about this? We got it already. Did you tell them through your nod that you got it already? If not, they have no way of knowing. They cannot read your mind. Also, um, there was a thing that, uh, that I was definitely going to say during this next few seconds, and my brain is looking for it. It's not finding it. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it, might, it might come back around to it. Also, unrelated, um, the dance Shake in My Head has <laughs> some, uh, some nods in it that I would recommend practicing. Those are, uh, those are appropriate nods. Uh, one of the few things I like about the whole nodding to show you're listening mm-hmm. um, and I use air quotes there because it's not exactly nodding, is when people like Joe or Guyton or um, I've seen Kat do it a couple times. I've tried to emulate it once or twice. Is when they say, say yes, say uh-huh, say wow. You're re-engaging 
the class. Um, and it does give them that chance to acknowledge it, but then it also gives them that chance to be like, oh, wait, what am I saying yes to? Mm-hmm. Um, so that it brings them back to that, okay, yes, I am listening kind of situation. One interesting spin I've seen you do on it is like, I've seen you do the, you know, da 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 da, say yes, and then they do it. And I've seen the others that you mentioned do that as well. But yours comes across very organic and natural when you, when you ask them like, okay, so are we all on our right? And nobody says anything, then you'll say, someone say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started doing that actually last night. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, any questions? Can we go forward? Are we got it? Are we comfortable? Somebody say something, <laughs> you know, kind of situation. Yeah. But it's mostly, um, did you guys want to do that again? Somebody say yes, somebody say no, <laughs> say something, you know. Yeah. Um, and they tend to respond with a yes um, or a no or whatever they ne- need to respond with, but they also laugh at it too. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I enjoy is that it it still keeps with the good mood and whatnot. My brain came back around, the nodding. Uh, it can look like you're hurrying them through their point when you nod really quickly. And I'm sure you've seen this or maybe done it in the past out there in Radio Land. Um, When the person across from you is making a point and you're nodding and you're accelerating in the speed of your nods and your mouth is a little bit open and you're leaning forward, your neck is tense and you look like you're holding your breath. They can tell that you're nodding them to the end of their sentence so you can jump in and say the thing that you want to say. (laughs) And that doesn't look like listening that just looks like you have to pee. <laughs> like, I get that. I'll be right back. Oh, I have to do this dance. I have to go to make a pit stop. You know, uh, there are things that that um, that seem more important than what they're trying to get across to you when you're over-nodding in that way. Yeah. I, I know sometimes I've, in this particular spot, is when I get to that point where I'm like, I do have something I want to say, um... And I'm worried that I'm going to forget it. I will say, remind me this. Mm. Keep going. Or bookmark. Blah. (laughs) Yeah. Something. Something. Just so that it's like, remind me. I need to tell you about this. But please keep going. Yes. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I do have something to say. But I want to hear what you have to say first. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know like when you've done that with me. I haven't felt rushed, like I need to continue, like get it done as quickly as possible. But it was like, okay, so he does have something to say. I'll finish the story and then he can contribute to it. And then we can have further conversation. Mm. And if one of us, if we're both about to say something at the same time, then whoever seems more likely to forget their thing can say that. Like, oh, let me say this real quick before blah, blah, blah. Or no, you go ahead. I just need to remember blah. Yeah. And then you can come back to whatever blah was. Mm Mm-hmm. Ask clarifying questions. An easy way to show someone that you're completely there with them is to ask clarifying questions after he or she has spoken. For example, you could ask, When you say blank, what exactly do you mean? Another great clarifying question comes to us from Dr. Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Basically, you paraphrase what the person just said and add, Am I understanding you correctly? In more casual conversations, Ask people questions like, what was your favorite part of that? Or, what was the hardest part of that for you? People really enjoy reflecting on and answering such questions. 
Um, it's very important. I know. I know there's been several conversations that you and I have had where I've done the okay. Now wait a minute. Is this what you're saying, or is that what you're saying, or am I totally off topic, or whatever? Because um, it sounds like you're saying this, but exactly. Um, as opposed to just being like, oh yeah, no, I understand what you mean, and like totally missing the point. Um, another thing is ask clarifying questions. I know when it comes to being a student mm. and taking a lesson, and if you are honestly not getting something, ask for the clarification. I know I've done that with you a couple times. Uh, I think last night was one of them where we were doing a dance and I was observing a few different people uh, missing the lockstep. So I asked you to break it down again um, so that we could really understand it. And I didn't say anything about like, oh, because so-and-so is missing it or anything like that. I just, you know, hey, can you break that down again for me real quick? Um, Just so that people get comfortable and it's done without them feeling like they're holding up the class. Because I know when you have a mixture of dancers where you have people who are there for the very first time to people who are technically like some of the most advanced performance level dancers taking the same lesson that first dancer can really feel like they're holding up the class by not you know like if they ask all these questions so they're just going to struggle through it um and potentially have a negative experience uh whereas um being a more advanced dancer you can see that, see that someone's struggling, and you yourself, even though you may not need it, can ask for that clarification or that one more rep. Um, I know Leah was really good about that last night at club. Uh, she asked for another, like one or two more times to have that repetition going because uh, nobody else was saying anything. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure, we can totally do this a couple more times, and then just got that practice, um, giving that feedback to the person instructing saying that you need to clarify something really helps. Mm. Avoid fidgeting. Uh Fidgeting signals to the other person that you're not comfortable or content and that there's somewhere else you'd rather be. So don't twiddle your thumbs or your phone and avoid looking around for what else is going on, which signals to the other person that you're searching for a better opportunity than your current one. Like I said, I, I'm kind of a natural fidgeter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there are certain things that I find acceptable. Um, like when you switch your weight a little bit here and there, that's fine. Versus when you're constantly looking around the room. That, that you know, like there's two different levels there. Um, I know sometimes... Like, I'll get really, really fidgety and people, like, to the point where, like, I can't hide it from people. And so they'll ask me, is everything okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just, I have this thing where I fidget. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm totally paying attention. So anyways, you were telling me about this. And I bring them back to where they were. So they do know that I was listening even though I was fidgeting. Hmm. Yeah, cutting down caffeine can help with the fidgets or other stimulants. Um doing some kind of mild activity like even if it's a dance you wouldn't normally do but you look at the playlist and they're like five in a row and you know you're gonna get fidgety by the fifth one 
If the third one is one that you're like, eh, yeah, I, I do technically know it, maybe just go ahead and do it just to get that energy out and then sit for the fourth one and go back out for whatever comes after that that you want to do. Um, also, I think a lot of people would be okay with this. I mean, depends how well you know them. But if you find yourself fidgety and the other person is accepting of a massage, then you can send your hand energy into whatever muscles they uh, require attention toward. Okay. Yep. If you're talking to them face-to-face and you know them really well, you can give them like a calf or a foot massage. And if they're just kind of talking about something hazily off into the distance, then you can like actually get up and like rub their neck or their shoulders. Ask permission. Yes. Always ask to touch. (laughs) Don't think about how you're going to respond while the person is still talking. We all have a tendency to do this. Our inner conversational narcissist wants to be ready to jump in and start talking as soon as there is an opening. But if you're thinking about what you're going to say, you're obviously not fully listening to what the other person is saying. It's natural to want to have an idea of what you're going to say before you say it, but it's okay to work through your response as you're giving it. Embrace the pause. As we'll discuss in the article on power, it's low-status individuals that talk the most and feel the need to fill every silence. That is certainly something that I've had to get used to with being on the mic or the air or the recording or anything like that is figuring out that occasionally having that moment of pause and when I say moment, a moment, not like beyond 20 minutes, um, so that you avoid saying ums like that, but it allows you time to really think about your answer and people will wait. It's okay. They will give you a moment to figure out your thoughts in response to what they may have said. And it allows you that time and freedom not to feel rushed It also allows you to spend the time listening to what they said. And if there is something that you're trying to figure out while talking and answering or responding and you're not quite putting it together, that's when you can also ask for another clarifying question. Be like, okay, wait a minute. I remember you saying something about this. Can you you elaborate on that or can you tell me more about that or... Can you repeat what you said? Um, I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. And then you can go from there. Some of my favorite interviews have been the ones where I am responding directly to something that they just said, as opposed to seeming like I have a list of questions and I'm going to just ask them in order regardless of what they were talking about. Because it doesn't show that I have absorbed anything if I just go straight into the next unrelated point. One way to keep that flow going is to have maybe a piece of paper. Definitely do not do this with a smartphone because they can't tell if you're texting. Uh, Do this with a piece of paper and a pencil and just as they're saying something, if something strikes you and you know you want to come back to it, but they're in the middle of their story, let them keep going as far as they want with that story. Let them talk as long as they, they have details to share and just jot down a bookmark, a quick word or two that will remind you of what the thought was you wanted to return to. If you write for too long, again, they just like with with texting, they'll think that you're doing something that you'd rather be doing and you're writing about it. 
But if you just do it surreptitiously and keep eye contact with them, if possible, while you're writing it, then they will get to the end of their thought and you can naturally bring them back to that point that uh, they just mentioned. And then also, if possible, so, I mean, sometimes it, it, it really depends. If you have like three or four or five bookmarks and you don't know how to get back to all of them, instead of going chronologically back to the earliest one and then moving forward, consider responding to the most recent one, because that definitely, in my mind, feels more conversational, replying to the most recent thing they said, and then move backwards from there and say like, okay, so circling it way back to earlier when you said this, uh, what did you mean by blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I like that. Um, One of the other things is when you're trying to figure out what you're saying, it's okay to give yourself those moment pauses or anything like that. If you have too many, um, yeah, I think my most common, yeah, but so, Hmm. um, they're all space fillers and it puts, I believe they, they, uh, they talk about it in like public speaking and, uh, speech classes about it almost adds an unconfident air to what you're saying so that you're, you don't really know how to respond and you're just filling the air because you're looking for the answer as opposed to being honest and authentic with it Mm -hmm. as well as if you give a moment from when they stop talking and you start that allows one you to start thinking about what you're saying two to make sure for sure they are finished and it allows them also that moment to switch over into that listening zone as opposed to the speaking zone. Um, with that, it gives them the transition. It gives you a moment and it allows for a very nice, peaceful flow from you know one conversation to the next. Wait two seconds before responding. Ha- Breaking in the very instant a person pauses or stops talking signals to them that you were doing the above, thinking about what you were going to say instead of fully listening to them. Nonverbal behaviors are more powerful than verbal ones, so use this trick from command to show you're really tuned in. When someone has spoken, see if you can let your facial expression react first, showing that you're absorbing what they've just said and giving their brilliant statement the consideration it deserves. Only then, after about two seconds, do you answer. The sequence goes like this. They finish their sentence. Your face absorbs. Your face reacts. Then, and only then, you answer. Hmm. Wonder, uh... <laughs> I haven't actually tried the whole facial thing part of it. I like that they have exercises in this that you can test out. True. Yeah. Um, I do find it funny that they mentioned the wait two seconds, mm. but um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like I was saying earlier, if you give that time, it it allows that uh, transition to go very smoothly, and it feels like it's an actual conversation as opposed to them just impatiently waiting for you to get done with whatever you were talking about so they can share whatever they need to. Mm. I know for me, every once in a while, 
I've actually caught myself doing it yesterday. I had a friend call me early in the morning with um, a problem she was having and she really just needed someone to listen to her and someone to like be there for her and not necessarily give her, you know, groundbreaking advice on what she should do to fix it, but just be there and support. And I know there was a couple times in the conversation where there was a an option for me to relate to something she said by sharing my own thing but I told myself no no listen to her now this is what's important she's talking about this and then like I got myself back in the conversation as opposed to feeling the need to share what I may have recently gone through that's similar to what she's going through Mm -hmm. because she didn't need someone who can relate to her she needed someone who can just listen to her so that's where it's also important to when you're listening to someone who's having a conversation to really feel engaged is you don't necessarily have to share everything that comes into your brain because let's be honest sometimes that's a really scary thought Mm. Um, so if you take the time to really listen and get their side of the story they feel heard which Mm. is very important that is certainly something that I've experienced firsthand with speaking with some of the individuals that I have been very fortunate to have conversations with people like Joe, Rachel, Fred, Amy, uh, even Kat, you know, like I feel like getting that moment to talk to them and when they're paying attention to me, I, I feel so special and so honored that they would share even five minutes of their time with me and when they take that time I feel heard which Mm -hmm. is mostly why people talk anyways is because they want to feel heard Mm -hmm. yeah I think about how some people claim that they can multitask and if let's say a person is listening to some new track that somebody sent them and they're holding their phone up to their ear and they're nodding along to the beat and you're trying to tell them something really important And they're like, no, no, I'm totally listening. Yeah, go ahead. No, really, seriously, I can do two things at once. I know a lot of people can't, but I'm one of those very special, rare people who can listen to you completely while I'm nodding along and listening to the lyrics of the song as well. You're going to feel, regardless of what they said, like you're not being fully listened to or maybe taken seriously or whatever it is you need at the moment, as opposed to somebody who is like sitting across from you, nothing else is playing, and like maybe they have like a hand on your knee, full eye contact, leaning forward. It's like we've said in previous episodes about how it's better to make somebody feel overwelcomed, like everybody was coming up and saying hi, mm-hmm. than nobody came up and said hi, and they were underwelcomed. Imagine the difference, even if it doesn't seem like, if you just had a quick thing to say to somebody like Rachel at an event, and she was in the middle of doing something and you said, okay, yeah, just go ahead and tell me right now. I'm just going to finish this order. And, you know, she's punching in a bunch of things and you're saying the thing and she's nodding along. It still feels like, wow, that's so nice of her to like, you know, listen to the thing that I have to say. She's so busy and like here she's taking the time to listen. Now imagine like how a hundred times better that would feel if for whatever reason she thought, you know what, let's go outside for a moment. Here, you, I, I'll finish this up in just a moment. I'll meet you out there. And then you go outside. She pulls up two chairs. She's sitting. She's doing the leaning forward, total icon. Nothing else is playing, no music. No one else is coming up. You're like, all right, uh, go ahead and tell me what you wanted to tell me. You have my complete attention. 
I would faint. So that, I did not, however. <laughs> that is the effect that you can have on people by over-listening or seemingly over-listening. Sometimes, just like with teaching a lesson to people and you think you don't need to tell them, here's where your weight is, here's what wall you're facing, uh, here's the count that this happens on, sometimes you really need to just beat them over the head with it and that amount of excess that you feel like you're doing is just right for them. Mm -hmm. Like that's exactly what they needed and any more than that and they would feel the excess too. You feel like it's 10 times too much. They feel like this is right. This is good. I have all the angles covered. I'm so glad that they went to this degree for me. Yeah, that's certainly one of those things. I know, I don't remember if it was Monday or Wednesday at club. I was going over the jazz box or jazz square. And I told them, we're just going to do it a bunch of times in a row until you're sick of me telling you cross back side together, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and we literally did it like six or seven times in a row and I was like, okay, one or two more times, just for good measure. And it's like, at that point, I was able to look at when they first started doing it to when we stopped doing it a bunch of times in a row with the repetition. And they, you know, like, I could see the difference. I was like, all right, looks like you guys got it. So let's go ahead and give it a try, you know. Um, so going over and over and over definitely, <laughs> definitely can help regardless of how much you may think you may be boring them uh it's better to have more practice and repetition than not mm. uh but going back a little bit to what you said uh another thing you can consider is with someone who is really really busy that you wanted to share something with which i'm so grateful i had the opportunity to do at wild wild west with rachel is i said you know, when you have a few minutes, there's something I wanted to talk to you about or something I wanted to show you or I wanted to ask you a question and let them tell you when it's a good time mm -hmm. um, because they are so busy and you don't want to monopolize their time. You do want to say something or, or you want to get whatever it is going to talk to them about it. But, you know, you, you want to be heard too. So you don't want to distract them and make them feel like they're obligated to, you know, pay attention to you because, you know, you're a customer or something like that. Um, so giving them that opportunity to be like, oh, well, I have time now or, okay, I'll find you later. You know, one of those things where it, then, you know, the efforts there on their part. Two things. One, at the very end of this article, they just say, bone up on your other listening skills. Make sure to check out our post on active listening. More tips on improving this vital skill. Follow them and you'll make vast improvements in your charismatic presence. The other semi-related thing to this uh, that they don't actually mention in this article is one thing I like about instructors I've seen so far is when they don't make a lot of references to previous events, like here's what happened at this other event, so um, I'm going to do this with you guys right now because it seemed to work out really well when I was in blah, other city. Or um, I'm going to this other super cool place next week, so you know, thank you guys for being my guinea pigs or something so that I can really perfect this by the time I get there. They don't make references to other places. They are where they are. You are the most important class to them right then. And they wouldn't rather be teaching this other easier class that they had before who was more vocal about stuff like, 
you know, my people back home, they nod and smile. Why aren't you guys? Like, there's no comparison. There's no planning for a future more important event that they are just using you to get to. It's all about what they're doing right then. They don't want to be anywhere else. They just want to do this class and have this special experience with you. And we've mentioned in previous episodes how sometimes they'll even create a culture immediately on the spot with that class, not any of the other workshops at the same event even that they are going to teach, but just that one class, whether it's like Gimme Gimme with her big finish of huh, or um, any any event where they just have like like an inside joke or like somebody's wearing something at one class and it jingles when they do this one little shimmy that's something that might not come up again in any of their other classes in the future. So even if that person takes another class from them later, it's the sort of thing that wouldn't just naturally come up. But during that one class, during that one shimmy, when they're wearing that particular outfit that they put on that day, and they might even change before open dance in the evening, for that moment, this is worthy of calling attention to and bringing everyone else in the class in on so that you will always remember that one hour that you took that class and learned that dance from the instructor. Yeah, I have a couple of those because Mm -hmm. of that special little something that happened only during that class. Yeah, even if you take the same lesson from, maybe it's two co-choreographers, and you take the class from one of them and you take the same lesson from the other person, they might not ever mention it. They might mention something new that the previous one didn't say anything about. Or if it's the same instructor at different events, you might learn it from them at one and then a week later go to another event where they teach the same thing, but they're not necessarily going to make the same little cracks or try to re... what's it? Uh, catch lightning in that bottle again like it might just be a moment that you had at that one class and they don't try to bring it back or or make it happen again it just happened and they can enjoy it and then if you were there you're lucky and you feel lucky that's what makes people want to come back to those people's classes they feel like that's a special experience you never know what's going to happen and nobody else who tries to go to that class afterward will ever really get it the way that you get it with those people that you took the class with. Mm -hmm. If your class is expendable and you can learn the same thing from a a video on YouTube or just getting it from the step sheet, nothing stands out about it, that you barely even know that the people on stage recognize that you're there, like they're just teaching to the air, they're not engaging with you at all, they're not checking in or looking over their shoulder to be sure that you have it, but they're just sort of teaching at you into the void, then you feel like your presence doesn't make a difference, and if they're not going to notice you're there, well, heck, go to the other ballroom one one uh, door down and be part of their class, because they're going to make you feel special, and they're going to make you feel like it matters that you showed up. Right. Yeah. There's so much more to a successful class at one of these events than just the dance. Very true. 